Welcome to Victory Fellowship's online podcast library. We hope you enjoy this message today. I wonder what date it is that you're going to be your last day here on earth. There is a day with your name on it, you know. It could be the day of the return. It could be by way of the grave. But it's, either way, it's coming suddenly. And um, yeah, you'd be surprised at how, how quickly your world will change. And um, what I want to share about today is the spiritual aspect of this um, feeding of the multitude. You know, we t- I, I, a few minutes ago I was sharing with you about how it was uh, three days of explosion of miracles, healings, deliverances, signs and wonders, the feeding of the loaves, then the walking on water, then the stilling of the storm, then the transportation of the boats, and Jesus is on the other side, you know, suddenly and supernaturally on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and the, the crowds had began to gather over on that side and gather around him, and they began to ask him, how did you get over here? And, and you know, he never really answered their question. They, they started, you know, this is, this is great. This is great. This is kind of like Moses. We can do this. You can be our Messiah. You can be the king. We'll get rid of the Romans. You can, there'll be a chicken in every pot. We'll all have chariots. It's going to be great. And, uh, and he said, no, you don't understand. I'm a king, but not that kind of king. My kingdom's not of this world. I didn't come to give you your best life now. Even though I do all of those, even even though I heal and provide and do all that stuff, that's not really why I came. Why I came was about what what was next. And then he began to to teach them in John chapter 6 about his his death, about his suffering, about the the bread, which was his body, and the, the, the blood, which was the drink of the new covenant. And he told them, unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you'll have no part with me. You know, that didn't go over real big. If you, rem- if you read the whole story, the, the, the crowds left. They left because that's not what they were looking for. They were not looking for a spiritual kingdom. They were looking for somebody to fix their stuff here and now, which he does that, but that's not why he came. He's a spiritual king, first and foremost. And that's what the feeding of the multitudes was about. It was about spiritual life. It was about impartation of God li- God's kind of life. You know, this, I read, this last week I read a sermon. Actually, I had this book that I'd never, I don't know why I'd never opened this, never read this book. It's a, another hardback book of sermons of Jonathan Edwards. And it's actually sermons of, that he taught or preached about communion throughout his ministry. And I, I started digging through it and I found one. It was about the great gospel feast. And he talked about communion. He talked about feeding the multitudes. And he talked about the marriage supper of the Lamb. And that, that is what the whole feeding of the multitudes was. It was a, a picture. It was a type and a shadow. Yeah, it was a real miracle. It was a real event. And there was real hungry people. And there was a real boy and a real lunch. And everybody ate and they were filled. But, but it was a sermon in itself. It was an illustrated sermon. It was a, a picture of the coming of the kingdom of God. He was a king. And, and the kingdom was coming. He was teaching to pray, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Feed the multitudes is a great event and we touch people, but it's, it's about a greater event that's about to hit us suddenly and unexpectedly. It's called the great gospel feast. And I hope you're ready for that day. 
It's the great day of the Lord. It's the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's the great, it's the great feast that the Father threw for His Son when His Son was getting married. And there had, the, the people were invited. And they had to have the proper garments to get into this feast. You know, so, the, so we're, we're, let, let's just talk about that. This first observation is whosoever will out of Luke 14. Jesus told a story about this gospel feast. And he said, he said, a man was giving a big dinner. This man was a picture of the father. This was a great, a, a rich, wealthy man who threw a great dinner, a great feast. And he invited many. And at the dinner hour, he sent his slave to say to those who hadn't been invited, come, for everything is ready now. But they all began to make excuses. You know, I really want to be there, but I've got this property I've got to deal with. I've got this job opportunity. I've got this marriage. You know, I can't be there. I'd love to be there, but I just really can't be there. That's what he says. So a man was throwing this big dinner. He's talking about whosoever will. Whosoever will, let him come. Let him come. Let him come. Let him come. He's, he's not talking about that particular dinner. He's talking about the great gospel feast. And not only the gospel feast that's going to take place when Christ returns. But actually, did you know there's a gospel feast, an unseen, mysterious gospel feast that's taking place all the time right here, right now? David discovered it. David discovered it. David, David talked about it. It was in his father's house. He, 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 in his famous Lord's Prayer, he said, The Lord has prepared a feast, a table, a celebration for me in the presence of my enemies. There is a feast prepared in this wilderness. It's a gospel feast. It's a spiritual feast. It's for whosoever will. It's for whoever is hungry, who recognizes that our life is not just about this world, our clothes, our health, our family, our money, our, our inheritance, our insurance policy. It's not only about all of those things, but it's about living this spiritual life now, knowing Christ now, and feasting on Christ now. Yeah, there is a table in the wilderness. That table is spread here this morning. The table is spread and some have been eating from it from the very first song, eating from this great gospel feast, eating as we sang and worshiped the Lord, eating as we read the scriptures, eating when we serve communion, feasting on God himself. Unless you eat my body and drink my blood, he said, you'll have no part in me. Yeah, there is a gospel feast. He says in Revelations 19, 7, Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. Now this meal of this feast, of course, Christ himself is the meal. They were asking him, you know, you know why don't you do what Moses did? Moses gave us bread for, for 40 years. And he said, you don't understand. Moses didn't give you that bread. My father gave you that bread. As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, I am the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. He said, unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you'll have no part in me. This is not about a little boy's lunch and, and multiplying it every day so you have food on your table. Get a job. Eat my body and drink my flesh. So Christ is the bread of life. In this mountain, it says, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast. 
Yeah, in the house of the Lord, he makes a feast. He's making a feast today, a feast of wine on the lees, a feast of fat things full of marrow, of well-refined wine on the lees. There is a feast. And ho, everyone that thirsteth, let him come to the waters. Let him come without money and come and, and buy without money, without, without any price, and buy and drink this Father's feast. Yeah, he's prepared a table for us in the wilderness. Now listen up. This is, um, how, there's a, a blog that I wrote this week called Table in the Wilderness about this very thing, John 6, 35. Check this out. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. The miracles of Jesus were often living parables as well as meeting a very desperate need in someone's life. That's especially true in the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. The day after that incredible event, the crowds found Jesus on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, that, and they, bar they barraged him with a request for another feeding miracle. You know, like Moses did 40 years ago, with, for 40 years with the manna. This is when Jesus began to teach about the profound lesson of the bread and fish. He started by saying Moses didn't provide the manna for 40 years. It was his father in heaven. He went on to share his most shocking teaching yet. He said that he actually was the bread that came down from heaven. The manna was a type of Christ as well as the multiplied bread from the day before. He went on to talk about his death, about eating his body, and about drinking his blood. He was preparing their hearts for the new and better covenant, the covenant established with his precious bloods. Now here are some thoughts from, from Charles Spurgeon on this very thing that he preached in his church. He said, come and take him, O oh, anxious ones. And the more fully you can take him, the more will Jesus be pleased. Why flows the river but to make glad your fields? Why sparkles the fountain but to quench your thirst? Why shines the sun but for your eyes to be blessed with his light? As you breathe the air around you because you feel it must have been made for you to breathe, so receive the full, free salvation from Jesus Christ because it is provided and you are in need of it. No mandate of heaven exists to shut you out, but every sacred doctrine is an argument why you should come and welcome and take Jesus freely. The crowds all ate. None were so obstinate as to decline the gratis provender. Did they receive the bread which perishes? I charge you then accept, accept gladly the bread which endures to life eternal. Jesus is providing for us way more than fish and bread. He clearly is concerned about our daily needs, but at the point of the miracle, it's way more than that. He's providing a spiritual feast in the wilderness. You may seem like you're in a desolate spiritual place. Don't be alarmed. There's always a table prepared in the wilderness. There's a table for you in the wilderness. You might be going through the worst trial of your life. It could be a financial trial. It could be a health trial. It could be a, a marriage situation. But in the midst of the darkest night, in the midst of your wilderness experience, I promise you, if you'll open your heart, there's a table prepared for you, even as you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You'll sit at that table, and you'll be nourished at that table. You'll be strengthened in that table, and you'll be given strength for the journey, no matter what it is. Yeah, there is a, a gospel feast. Thank you, Lord. This gospel feast is filled with celebration. It's a, it's a joyful, it's a joyful celebration. You know, I remember back with um, a number of years ago, 
we were doing um, communion. We often did communion um, in our Sunday night service. And um, back in 94, 95, sometimes that became quite, uh, may I say, messy or dangerous. There was a lot of spilled communion cups. There was a lot of messy situations that took place in communion. It was quite, it was quite disturbing for some people because most people, when, they, when communion comes on the scene, suddenly everyone turns religious. I mean, whether you're in a, a Catholic church, a Presbyterian church, or a Holy Roller church, whatever church it is, suddenly everyone gets the same pious look on their face as soon as communion comes. What is that? If, you're, if your discerner is about broke, it's called the spirit of religion is what it is. I remember the first time I discerned that spirit was when I was about, I was about 12 years old. I was attending Memorial Baptist Church right on Ver- Veterans Highway. My mom took me to, com- to service that Sunday morning and it happened to be Communion Sunday. And they had a big table up in the front with a white sheet over the top of all the communion elements. And so the, the only thing I could think of to me, the only thing that that reminded me of was the funeral when I saw Uncle Clevey's body up in the front. It looked like a funeral service. It felt like a communi- f- funeral service. And I'm asking my mom, what's going on? You know, mom, who died? What is taking place here in this service? My mom just mm, hit me in the side, kept hitting me in the side. Be quiet. My mom didn't know what was going on either. She just wanted me to, to be quiet. But you see, it's like, almost like we, every, as soon as we have communion, well, it's, oh, poor Jesus died. Jesus is not poor, and I promise you, he's not dead. He, he's more alive than you can ever imagine. And the, the, this communion that we're about to take is more than, it's more than just a celebration of death. It's a celebration of life. It's a celebration of impartation. Yeah, yeah, he died. and whatever we have, snowballs and watermelon and, and chicken this, this Friday. Yeah, there's more, than, there's more than barbecue chicken being served and there's more than crackers and grape juice being served this morning. For those who have ears to hear and eyes to see, there's a gospel feast that we can partake of. We can taste and see that the Lord is good. Yeah, there is a table in the wilderness. There's a table in your wilderness. The miracles of Jesus... Let's see, no, I've already done that. Let's go on. Let's, this is gospel feast. There's a, this celebration is not a celebration of, of death. It's a, oh, I know what I was telling you about. I was telling you about the Sunday night communion service. I remember it was joy broke out at the worst possible moments. I mean, the joy of the Lord was just waves of joy, unspeakable joy was flooding this place. We're trying to have communion. And I remember I actually made the mistake of calling communion. I got criticized relentlessly of this. I called it a happy meal, actually. Now, the problem is my intentions were good because it was making everybody happy, but it was, it was just, it was, it, it was perceived in a wrong way. It wasn't the best way to communicate it. Because it was, people were eating it, it was making them very happy, so we call it the happy meal. But that was, we've, since that time, we've decided not to call it that anymore, because it's misunderstood. But Christianity is actually a celebration of joy. Jesus, uh, our first Feed the Multitudes was in July of 1990. That day was more than we'd imagined, way more. Whoever thought a day dedicated to giving and serving could actually be enjoyable. 
Well, were we ever in for a surprise? The day took on characteristic of, of a joyful celebration, reminiscent of the Bible feast days. Those Old Testament feast days were more than just religious observations. They were celebrations. Those days were like Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles and were the highlights of the Jewish year. Feed the multitudes has become that for us. It's actually one of the most fun days of our year. And now, the, the thing about these feast days, they had, you know, they, they, were, they were celebration Passover, celebration of Pentecost, celebration of tabernacles in the Jewish calendar. They, they would come to Jerusalem for, for a day of, of feasting. It was food, was, was, was served, it was huge spread that was served. But it was, they had, some, they had some requirements. And one of the main requirements to attend one of those festivals is that you could not come if you were sad. You weren't allowed to attend if you were sad. You had to be happy. It was a requirement. No sadness, no depressed people could come to feast, especially Feast of Tabernacles. It was you're, you're violating the rules. You'd have to go to the priest and offer a sacrifice if you were sad because you had to be happy when you came to the Feast of Tabernacles. It's a celebration of joy. Now, you, you know, you, know you, cannot le- you cannot legislate happiness. You know, it, get, it reminds me of my dad. We used to have, uh, uh, every time when I got up from eating dinner, you know, we had certain, certain rituals. You know, we'd pray the prayer, God is great, God is good. Let us thank him for this food. By his hands we are fed. Thank the Lord for daily bread. Amen. Now, when we get up to eat, leave, you'd eat it as fast as you could to get up to leave. You had to turn to your mom and say, excuse me, I enjoyed it. That's the way you had to leave the table when I was a kid. And the problem was, it was a big fat lie. <laughs> You cannot legislate joy. You can't legislate enjoying anything. You're, you're, you're going to like it. You're going to like this, kid. You're going to like this meal. You better like it. It just doesn't work. But joy, joy is the, is the work of God in our soul. It's spiritual. And that's the, that is one of the huge characteristics of this gospel feast. Oh, what an awesome day. If you just close your eyes for a moment and imagine what it's going to be like when Christ himself returns and we join together at the great marriage feast of the Lamb along those tables that go on and on and on for miles and miles and miles. Music like you've never heard before. Eating and drinking. and It's going to be beyond anything you could ever imagine. This great gospel feast. This is... Um, you know, this is, this is what it is. Now, you think about it. This, this, um, this feast, you th- when you think about the, the miracle of feeding of the multitude, you think about the abundance, incredible abundance of the provision. He provided. He provided more than was necessary. He took that little lunch and he multiplied it and multiplied it, and they ate, and they ate, and they ate. It says they were all filled. They were all gorged. And then it says they gathered together 12 baskets full. There was more than enough. It was a picture of God's abundant, abundant supply. Yeah, there is a table in the wilderness. And in this table in the wilderness, he's serving more than just natural bread and natural fish. He's serving out his very glory and his very presence. And I promise you, there is an abundant, abundant supply. More than you can ever drink, more than you can ever imagine. There's more than you've ever tasted available at this gospel feast. It's one of the amazing, shocking characteristics 
of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. When you step into his presence and you begin to feel waves of his glory coming over you or coming over a congregation in a service, when you begin to feel the glory of his presence moving in like the tide, one of the shocking things about it is the abundant nature of his glory. It's like you come underneath an endless ocean of his love that never ends. There is an abundance in the house of God. There is an abundance of his glory. There's an abundance of his presence in our Father's house. Yeah, he's prepared a table for me in the wilderness, and I come and sit at the Father's table, and there's more than enough for me. Have you ever thought about the incredible cost of the feast? You know, we've spent thousands of dollars for all these years on Feed the Multitudes, on the food and all the stuff, you know, on everything costs money. The sound system, the food, it all costs money. And, and you know, God's provided every year. It's an incredible, an incredible um, price tag on an incredible event. But you, but the, you think about the, the price tag. What is the price tag on the great gospel feast? This eternal feast. This table that's here now, this eternal celebration that we're about to step into. Oh yeah, that's, it's something that, that money can't buy. David's $300 million offering couldn't even touch the edge of it. There's a, it's a value that you can't put a number on. And the price was paid in full. It was paid in full by the offering of the man who's the host of the feast. The host has paid the price for the entire celebration. This eternal, infinite, unending celebration was paid by the very man. He stood there that day as he offered up that little boy's lunch. And he knew this. He lifted his hands that these hands would be stretched out in a matter of days. And he would pay the ultimate price that he'd lay his life down, that he had drained the blood from his body. He became a man. He became one of us. And he offered the, the most impossible price of all. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Christ himself offered up his life to the very death. He paid the price for this gospel feast. That's why in one of Jesus' parables is the, the father came into the, he came into the festival. The music was playing. The food was being served. Everyone was having a blast. The celebration was a full on. And the father looked around and he saw someone in the celebration without their wedding garment. Do you remember the story? Without the wedding garments. What is that wedding garments? It's the righteousness of Christ. It's when you take off your, your, your stained garment of your own self-works, your stained garment of your own sinful condition. You recognize you're a sinner in need of a Savior, and you come to Christ and say, Father, Lord Jesus, be merciful to me. I'm a sinner. Would you wash me in, my, in your precious blood? And he takes off your garment stained with sin, and he puts on you his brand new garment. It's the wedding garment. It's the only garment that gains access. It's the only garment that can sit down even today at the table of the Lord's. Put on the garment of Christ, washed in his pre pre precious blood. I want to finish up. I want to read this, um, the center of Jesus' message in John 6. We're going to finish with this. John 6, verse 53 through 58, and then we're going to take communion. But he was, 
you know, the, the people were, they were mistaken. They got the wrong idea about the miracles. And, and you know, that's the danger. When there's, a, when there's a season of outpouring of miracles, it's easy to get the wrong idea. It's easy to get the wrong idea because, you know, we, we see in, in, the, uh, in, in the ministry of Jesus, we saw the love of God. We saw him opening blind eyes and, and healing leprous bodies. But not all of the people that were being healed were being, were being spiritually awakened. Lots of people receive miracles that never get saved. Are you listening to me? It's, you don't earn miracles. They just, they're given by God. There's all kinds of people that, that never get born again that get healed. It's really amazing. It might goof with your theology, but we've seen some strange things happen. We've seen, we've seen all sorts of strange things happen, and you'll be shocked. But God, He just heals because He's a lover. But that, and then when He begins to pour out His Spirit, and He begins to provide miracles, we begin to think, well, that's what this is. It's about, it's about stuff. It's about my best life now. It's about all these things. Then we have to come to some hard decisions that, that, that it's not about that. Whether I have it or don't have it, I still have Him, and I still have eternal life. I still have this, the thing that really matters is, is Christ Himself. And that's what He began to teach the crowd in John 6. He said to them, when they were trying to make him king, I tell you the solemn truth. This is, what, this is what changed everything about his ministry. These statements right here. I tell you the solemn truth. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you'll have no life in you. The one who feeds on my flesh. Now he's talking about a lifestyle. The one who feeds on my flesh. Everyone say, feeds on my flesh. The one who feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. He's talking about a daily fellowship with Christ. I'll raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood dwells in me and I in him as the living Father has sent me and I live because of the Father. So the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, Jesus said. This is the bread, his body. This is the bread that came down from heaven. It's not like that which your fathers ate and died. The one who feeds on this bread will live for all time. You know, if you, if you read the rest of that story, if you read the rest of that chapter, the crowds left him. The crowds left. He was standing there by himself with his 12 disciples. They didn't want to hear that. That's not the message they wanted to hear. They wanted to hear the other one, the chicken in the pot message. That was the one they liked. And he turned, Jesus turned and he looked at his 12, his 12 disciples and he said, um, are you guys going to leave too? And they said, where are we going to go? Now that's the right answer. Now why? They had nowhere to go. They had cut all their bridges. They were no longer connected to this world and this culture. They had cut their bridges. There was nowhere to, where am I going to go? I have nothing to go back to. I don't have plan B. I only have this plan. There's nothing to go back to. Christ is my life. He's not part of my life. He's not my fix-it man. He's not the special man. He is my life itself. He is better than life. He's my portion. He's my bread. He's my oxygen. He sustains me. He saves me. He heals me. He restores me. He empowers me every day. Lord, we've got nowhere to go. That's where it starts. That's what happens when you begin to feed on Christ. You begin to feed on Christ because we're, face it, we're feeding on something every day. 
I'm talking about spiritually. We're feeding on something. Whether it's Glamour Magazine or Sports Illustrated or something worse, Playboy Channel or, or whatever the nonsense, you're feeding on something. And when you begin to feast on Christ and feast on His Word, He begins to do something inside of you where you say, well, I've got nothing to go back to. This is this. Christ is now my life, my help. Thanks for listening. Check out our website at www.victoryfellowship.net for service times and for more information. 